I think, um, you know, at, at least one of the reasons we gather together each Sunday is that we really want to grow in the Lord in one way or another. Now, you know, that hits a lot of a lot of uh, a wide spectrum there. Uh, you know, we want to, in one way or another, uh, grow and and draw closer to the Lord. We want to grow in our understanding of Him. We want to get better at living for Him, get better at living with Him. I hope that we, one of the things we want to do is, uh, you know, to get better at following Him. One of the very best things you can do toward that end is take some time. Uh, Sunday is a good one because you're here. Uh, you know, and, and you're focused on the Lord a little bit more, but take some time every week and set that aside and think back through your week that you just that you just did. You know, think back. What did I do on Monday? What did I do on Tuesday? Think through those things and and ask yourself, you know, how how you did with the Lord? You know, what what did I what did I do? What did I do this week to help me understand God better? And how did I actually live for him each day? Uh, you know, how, uh, you know, and then ask yourself, how, how can I follow, you know, how can I follow you in these times, Lord? Uh, because each, each week uh, brings new challenges, doesn't it? But if we stop and we ask ourselves, you know, how can I follow you better in these times, Lord? You know, these times not only in what's going on in our country, these times in what's going on in our personal lives. How can I follow you better in these times? I think, that, you know, this, this will make a huge difference. I think you will be amazed at what you learn. I think you will be amazed at how much you then grow and how much you become alive with God each day. You know, that that, that will draw you deeper into him. Now, our next section in Colossians, as we're looking here, talks about being alive in Christ. And I think it exposes some areas, reminds us, reveals some areas that we need to be aware of, more aware of. Let's pray and we're going to get into the passage. Father, thank you for your word and the way in which you minister to us, the way in which you touch us with your word. And as we see it in other people's lives, as we see it become real in our lives, as we think how is it that I did this week in living for you? And how did your word guide me and help me? Father, it's, you, you've pulled me deeper in you over the years, and I'm so grateful for that. And I know it's not over. So for each one of us, help us to grow. Help us to know you. Help us to understand your word, because then we understand you better. That we'll understand your heart and your love for us. Help us to see more and more how it is that we can follow you, that we can be yours and live for you. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible, page 1084. If you're using a different Bible, it's a different page, uh, most likely. So, you know, you go ahead and get there. We're going, to, we're going to focus on verses 13 through 15, but we're going to back up. We've been doing this for a few weeks. We're going to back up to verse 11 just to help us connect 13 to 15 to the train of thought uh, that is that is presented there um, in those verses. Verse 11, he says, You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
Now, verse 13, where we're going to be focusing on today. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. Now, when we come to, when, when we come to a faith relationship with Christ Jesus, that, that circumcision of the heart, we talked a bit about that last week, uh, and looked at what is said, you know, there, uh, in those earlier verses, that, that circumcision signifying that cutting away of sin, that separation of, of ourselves from sinning, and, and cutting that, cutting that out, you know, not an act of the flesh as it says here, but a spiritual yielding to God through our separation from sin, you know, and making that part of our goal that, you know, we will be separated from it. It gives the illustration of baptism, you know, and through baptism we identify with his death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. Now that's all a working of God. And in verse 13 here, he says to us very clearly, you were dead, but God made you alive with him. You were dead. God made you alive with Christ through faith. That is, you know, that, that is really a huge, that is a monumental change. It is a monumental change from being dead in sin. And God made you alive with him. God made you alive with Christ. He says that you, you know, you, you were dead. We were dead, it says, in our trespasses. Now, that, that's before we even knew, before we even cared. Uh, in Romans, we read, For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. He died for those who were still dead in their trespasses and sins. That's who he died for, the ungodly, those dead in their trespasses and sins. It goes on, it says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in the midst of it, before we even cared, before we even knew maybe, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He proves his own love for us. You know, th- th- now, this is, it's not because of anything we have done. It is an act of God's love. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'm not worthy of God loving me. You're right. He doesn't love you because you're worthy of it. He loves you because he's God. That's why he loves you. He loves you because he's God. It, it, it isn't, it, you know, it, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it isn't so much to do with your worth. It's his character, his being, who he is. It is part and parcel of who he is. He loves you because he's God. You know, you do happen to be a sinner, but he loves you because he's God. He proves his own love for us. And he says, he made you alive. He made you alive. He made you alive. It's it's because he is God. He made you alive. Christ Jesus died. It says, while we were still in trespasses and and still, you know, uncircumcised, it says that uncircumcision showing that there was no commitment. 
showing that there was no commitment to God, no connection to God at all. They did not identify as God's person at all. Before, they, before we even identified as God's person at all is when he did all of this. And he says, you know, that you know, he made you alive. We were dead in trespasses. That's where we all come from. That's where we all are prior to coming to faith in Christ. Romans 3.23, for, for all have sinned. How many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Every single one. No one escapes that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, and, and so we were dead and trespasses their sins. You know, dead or alive. Those are, those are the only two choices here. There is no intermediate spot. There is no holding pen where you're, you're there and you're waiting. You know, there is no bullpen. You know, there, 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 there is none of that. You know, you are either dead or alive. Those are the two options. And we're dead if we choose trespasses. If we choose to live in sin. If we choose to live in trespasses. This is a way of life is what he's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, if we do sin and when, well, let me rephrase that. When we sin, you know, First John 1 John 1.9, when we sin, you know, he is faithful. And so when we come to him and we confess that sin, he's faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, you, you will sin. You, you know, you're not perfect. And again, you know, suck it up and, and realize that reality. You, you, you're not perfect and he loves you anyway. But what this is talking about is you're dead when you choose to live, when you choose to operate, when it is your choice that I am just going to live in sin. I'm going to live in trespasses and you know, you can say, you know, you, you might not say, I really don't care. Well, but your, your living shows you really don't care, you see. That's what he's talking about here. And if that's the way you choose to live, he says, you know, then, then you're dead in those, those trespasses as a way of life. That word means a false step, a blunder, a lapse, a deviation from the truth. That's what it means. But then he says we're alive if we choose to live with him. You see, we are alive if we are choosing to live with him. If we are choosing that as our way of life. If we are choosing to follow him. If the preponderance of your life is that you're following him. The preponderance of your life is that it is my, it is my intent and, and, and my, my goal, my, my aim to live for him. Not to, not to live in sin. You know, it is my aim to avoid living in sin. And he says when, you know, when we come to that relationship there, you know, that we are made alive. We are made alive because God forgave us all our trespasses when we are with him, when we are with Christ, when we come to that faith relationship with Christ. Now, remember, faith, you know, faith is more than belief. Okay, faith is more than belief. Faith is living the right way because you believe the right things. Faith affects your living. If it doesn't affect your living, it's just your hobby. It's just... Faith faith is, is living the right way because you believe the right things. You can flip it around and say, because you believe, you know, because you believe the right things, you live the right way. You know, it, it, it's, you, you can't separate those two. You, you, you can't, you know, the, the, you can't separate them. When we come to faith, it says we are forgiven by God. We're forgiven by God and we move 
from dead to alive. He forgave us all our trespasses, it says. Past tense. Past tense. When we come to him, he forgave us. He forgave us. It's done. It's done. We are not working out the last details. You know, we are not mopping up, you know, the, the, the last little remnants. It, it is by the grace of God. It is not by our works. It is by the grace of God and, and the grace of God alone. And it says that he forgave. Did you notice? All. All of our trespasses. Total forgiveness. He forgave all of our trespasses. You know that one that keeps nagging you? That one that, you know, it keeps nagging you? I, I, I can't believe I did. And you fill in the blank for yourself. If you brought that to Christ, you know what he says? That's part of all that he's forgiven. It's not... It's. It's not something that he's going to, you know, pull out of his pocket later and say, I, I remember what you did. You know, that, that's not it at all. He says, he, he says, I forgave that, that I forgave all, all, you know, all of those trespasses, total forgiveness. He goes on, verse 14 says, he erased the certificate of death with its obligations. I found that interesting. So this week I just received, and maybe maybe you guys got one of these too. I just received the um, escrow disclosure statement for the uh, loan on our house, and um, I'm guessing I'm not the only one. By the looks on some of your faces, um, our payment is going up because. I apparently chose a poor bank, and they do not want to cover the $4.78 a month that is the expected shortfall, even though they have all that money in that bank. They still are not interested in covering that additional $4.78 a month that they expect that I will be short. The very next day, I received a new payment book. Like, come on, people. I mean, uh, because they expect me to continue to pay this. They, in, in, in fact, you know, they will not cancel. They will not cancel that certificate of obligation. Think mortgage contract here. That's your certificate of obligation. You signed that when you bought your house. I signed this certificate of obligation. They will not cancel that, in fact, until I pay them every single penny. I don't know why they can't cover $4.78 a month. I don't think it's that big a deal. Apparently it is to them. You know, It must be to me because I brought it up. God God, on the other hand, notice what the scripture says, forgave. All our trespasses, he erased my certificate of debt with its obligations. Erased, canceled, some of the translations say. The word means to wipe out, to wipe away. Those obligations, obligations, illegal demands. The wages of sin is death. That must be paid. 
The wages of sin are death. And that must be paid. The, the payment was laid out long before the first sin was ever committed in the garden. You know, it, it was laid out there. God told them they would die if they went against his word and sinned. That, that was laid out before the sin ever happened. Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. You see, they understood the consequences before they got to that place of sin. They understood the obligation. They understood uh, who they, you know, that they had a choice of who they were going to follow. And they chose poorly, to say the least. Genesis 3, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. You see, the, 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 the obligation was, was laid out there. They understood the consequences long before the sin ever happened. And here they are facing that and, and they, they chose the reality of death. You say, well, she didn't die. Yes, she did. Death is separation. If you've ever been to a funeral I've done, you've heard this before. Scripture always talks about death as a separation. It talks about spiritual death as a separation of God from man due to sin. And it speaks of physical death as a separation of the soul of the spirit from the body. They committed that sin. There was a separation of man from God due to sin. And, and so we see that the reality that it happened there and, and, and the reality of death, that separation from God. And it is eternal if it is not taken care of. If it is not taken care of before you draw your last breath here, then it is eternal. That consequence remains today. I think the worst part of hell, I think the worst part of hell is the separation from God. You know, it talks about burning fire and all that. And if you've ever been burned, you know it's not a pleasant thought. It's just not, it's not a pleasant thing. And, and do I believe that's real? Yeah, I do. Why? Well, because the Bible says it. And so I think that's a good indication for me. But the reality, I think, is the worst part of hell. The worst suffering is going to be that separation from God. And here he's talking about, you know, that, 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 that separation that you must not eat from it or touch it. Sin must be paid for. Sin must be atoned for. Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. Be real careful when you say sometimes, well, they got what they deserved. Want me to remind you how many have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? That would be all. I don't want what I deserve. What I've earned is right here. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that gift of God. You know, death, that broken relationship must be restored, and it's atoned for, it's restored here, it says, by the gift of God through Christ. Our verses, you know, says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased that certificate of death with its obligations. He erased that. He erased that obligation of death that you had. He did that. It says, you know, that was against, that those obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross of Christ. Our obligation was laid on Christ Jesus. He became sin for us. He became sin in our place. Second Corinthians chapter five, it says he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took it and nailed it to the cross, it says here in Colossians. Hebrews chapter 9, it says, But now he has appeared one time at the end of the age for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. The removal of the sin. Colossians, it says, you know, sin was against us. It was opposed to us. Sin is never to your benefit. It is never to your benefit. You never, you can never sin your way to righteousness. You can never sin your way into a good outcome. The end never justifies the means. An unholy, unholy means gives you an unholy end. You, you can't separate those. It, 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 it's those, those, those actions, you know, that, that are there. You know, the sin was against us, opposed to us is what it tells us here. You never sin your way to holiness. You never sin your way into a righteous character. I like the way the ESV catches the meaning of this phrase. I think it does it well. It says it's canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You know, against us, against us, opposed to us. That means an adversary standing against you. That that sin, that, that, that sin, that those things, that is a, an adversary standing against you. And it says here that Jesus Christ removed it. He has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He has removed it, taken it away, taken it away. Removed it, taken it away by nailing it to the cross. The removal of our sin, not covering, you know, not covering it up, not pushing it off until later. You know, not pretending that it isn't there, not putting lipstick on a pig. You know, not pretending that it's all right. That's the way we handle sin. That's the way we handle sin. What, what we do is we, tr- we try to cover it up. We try to push things off until later. We try to pretend, you know, like it, like it didn't happen, like it's not there. You know, we try to put, pretty it up somehow. You know, we pretend that, you know, that it's all right. It's not. <coughs> it's sin. He went and nailed it to the cross. He has taken it out of the way, the verse says. So we are without excuse. 
He has taken it away. We have no excuse when we make that choice to sin. Eve, back to the garden. The very first sin. Before they, before they were ever tempted, they were warned that if they sinned, death would follow. They sinned, God came. God said to Eve, what I think you have in these questions from God, what I think you have in these questions from God is God throwing the door wide open for them to repent. Throwing the door wide open for them to do what we read in 1 John 1, 9, to confess their sins and to be cleansed. And I think God threw that door wide open. They sinned. God came to, came to Eve and said, what did you do? Who told you guys you were naked? What is it that you did? You know, they, Adam, great guy that he was, said, she did it. It was, it was, her, it was her fault. You know, it was, it was my excuses. The, the, you know, it's that woman that you gave me, Lord. By the way, didn't you give me that woman? That woman that you gave me. You see, he was trying to make excuses. He was trying to make it seem like it was all right. He was trying to make it seem like it wasn't his fault. That you know, this was forced on him. And so he says to Eve, you know, Eve, well, who told you? You know, well, it's that serpent. By the way, God, didn't you make that serpent? You know, didn't, aren't you the one that make that serpent? Put that serpent here and this serpent, and he deceived me. Even though she said to him, God said, if we eat of it, we'll surely die. You see, we, we make excuses. And this is exactly what was going on there. And God held each one of them responsible. You know, each one of them responsible for, you know, for the excuses. And here it says that he has taken, he has taken that out of the way. That's, that, those things that were opposed to us, he has taken them out of the way so we are without excuse. We had an obligation that Christ Jesus met for us on the cross. He removed our sin. We are forgiven. We are cleansed through him. We are cleansed through him and we are moved from dead to alive. That which was opposed to us, that which works to destroy us, was opposed to us, works to separate us from God, that has been removed, taken out of the way, set it aside, some of the translations say. That phrase means he took the burden upon himself. That's what it means. Because it says he did this by nailing it to the cross. You see, he did this by nailing it to the cross. We need to remember, we need to remember that the cross was a cruel torture device that was meant to prolong and intensify suffering it was not meant to be a quick thing it it was it was meant to be drawn out a, a drawn out slow very painful suffocation that generally lasted for days it, it lasted for days. That's why they came to the cross to break the legs of Jesus and those criminals. They sent them to the, those crosses to break their legs because this usually was a, a torture over days. Now, we can assume that the other men had their legs broken. I mean, we're not told, but I mean, we can assume that they had their legs broken to hasten their death. And do you remember, as you read through that account, they were surprised that Jesus was already dead. They, and they, they jabbed him with the spear. And, you know, they were surprised that he was dead. Why? Because he willingly dismissed his spirit. 
You see, that's what he did. And by his willing sacrifice on the cross for us, we are cleansed from our trespasses and all their penalties. Our relationship with God is restored. We are made alive with him as it nailed to the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, great words there. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with the Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. You see, the, the echoing just what we've been reading. You know, verse 14, he erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by disgracing them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. We do have an enemy that would love to draw us away from Christ. Just as he did with Adam and Eve. We have an enemy that would love to draw us away, that would love to pull us away. We, you know, we looked at how that happened with Adam and Eve. You know, and we looked at that, and, you know, and that, that we didn't look at the whole temptation where he says, hey, you're not surely going to die. How, how bad could this be? You know, you won't die. God's just, uh, yeah, he doesn't want you to be like him. And what he was doing there, he's pulling him away. He's drawing him away with more lies. And that battle is still going on today. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces in the heavens. We tend to give these spiritual forces either too much or too little recognition. We tend to think sometimes that maybe they don't exist, but they do. Now, at the same time, that is not an excuse for sin on your part. You realize the battle. You know, it, it, it doesn't mean that we're not personally, you know, that we don't personally struggle. We do. Not only against those, we personally struggle with our own fleshly desires. First John, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world. When he says world here, John uses world in a very specific way. John uses the phrase world uh, for that which operates apart from and in opposition to God. He uses world for those who reject God and all that God stands for. That's how John very specifically uses that. Not only here in his epistle, also in his gospel when he talks about the world. So this is what he's talking about. When he says, you know, that everything belongs to the world, you know, I think he goes on. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's lifestyle. That's not from the father. That's from the world. That is from that, that, that is from the, the, that system and that is from all that opposes God. And the world and its lust is passing away. 
but the one who does God's will will remain forever. The one who believes, the one who lives like he does because, who, who lives right because he believes the right things, those who have that relationship to God. He says those who have that, those who have that relationship to God, they will live forever. And it's a battle. Paul tells us about it in Romans chapter 7, about his own struggle. He says, for I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. And all God's people said, isn't that the truth? Isn't that, you know, I know what it is I want to do, but boy, I'll be, I'll be, you know, hornswoggled and a few other things. But if I don't go ahead, if I just don't do the stupid things I know I shouldn't be doing. I was thinking about this after I was trying to help somebody learn how to drive on the way to LaPorte the other day by the way I drove. And, you know, I just had to confess to the Lord later, you know, Lord, that was um, rude, ignorant, and stupid of me. goes on, he says, now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. It is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, that's the same conclusion we have here in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. That word triumphed, it says he triumphed over him. That word means to lead in triumph. To lead in triumph. It's the same word used in, and I didn't write this down because... In the mornings, you know, on Sunday morning, I, I've already gone through the sermon about four different times, and I sit down Sunday morning and do it and again, and I go through it, and I, and I think, well, you know, it's like God saying, okay, you didn't pay attention when we were working on this before, so here it is now. So anyway, write down second, just jot down in your, in your bulletin there, or your outline, Second um, Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14, because this shows, you know, very clearly the, the, the meaning of this word triumph, you know, to lead in triumph. Those, you know, what, what it, it's those who are led in triumph. They're not captives. Second uh, Corinthians uh, 2.14 says, but thanks be to God who always puts us on display, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. This is the picture that he has there for us. Those who lead, you know, that, those who are led in triumphal procession, you know, in Christ. And this is what he's talking about, you know, that, that reality there. We are triumphant in Christ. We are triumphant in him. You choose who you're going to follow. You know, you choose to be dead or alive. Yes, sometimes the choice is hard. Yes, sometimes it is a battle. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we fail. 
The battle is real. The choice is to be dead or alive. Don't quit. Don't quit. Choose to be alive. Choose to follow Christ Jesus. We are dead in sin, but alive in him. And we are forgiven by him. And we are cleansed through him. Through his sacrifice on the cross, we are cleansed. And we are triumphant in Christ. Choose to be alive. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made yourself known to us, that you have made yourself and continue to make yourself available to us, that you want us to be triumphant. You want us to be led in triumph by you, not giving in to the, the wiles of the enemy, not giving in to our own sinful desires. Father, with those battle, and we know we, we have been there. We are in the midst of it even now. And the enemy would love to destroy us, and we would love to indulge ourselves. And, Father, I have seen over and over again in my own life how foolish and stupid that is. Help us to always choose life. Help us to choose to be alive, which is only found in you. Help us to follow you, we ask. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.